Tonight we're right back in our study, Why a Baptist? In it we are looking at what it means to be a Baptist follower of Jesus Christ. We have the goal through this study of determining if we are Baptists, if it matters that we are Baptists, is that an important distinction to bear as we practice our walk with Jesus Christ? We are currently in a section of our study looking at what are known as the Baptist distinctives. These are uh, the commonly held beliefs uh, that make us Baptists. If someone were to come up or someone were to approach us and they were to ask the question, uh, what makes you a Baptist? Why are you a Baptist? What is it that a Baptist believes? Uh, These are the core things uh, that we would tell them. And so these are the answers that we would give uh, to that question. For a very quick review tonight, Uh, So far, we have seen the very first Baptist distinctive uh, deals with the Bible. Uh, We believe it is the inerrant, without error, inspired from God, authoritative, sufficient word of God. That is what we believe of our Bible. Uh, We believe it is our guide in all things of life, of faith, and practice. Very simply, we defer to God's word. We go to God's word because this is the speech of God. The second Baptist distinctive uh, is the priesthood of the believer. Uh, This is the truth that we need no go-between other than the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, There is no person that we have to seek out. There's no person uh, that we confess our sins to or go through. Uh, And all people have equal access to God through Jesus. We believe that's what the New Testament teaches us. We are on equal footing before God, and each of us have equal access to God through Jesus. Now, the repercussion of that, the fruit of that, is that each of us, therefore, is responsible ourselves before God as individuals. The third Baptist distinctive is the autonomy of the local church, and this is the belief or the truth that the local church Each individual local church governs itself under the headship of Jesus. There is no body over our local church. There is no person. There is no pope. There is no group that is over our local church. As a local church, we are self-governing. We are autonomous in practice. We seek out, according to God's word and in prayer, Uh, the direction of our church, and we act and we move uh, upon that. We are autonomous in practice. Uh, The fourth Baptist distinctive is the truth or the idea that there are two ordinances uh, that the New Testament church practices. They are done or they are practiced in obedience to Christ. Uh, We believe Jesus has told us as the church, these are the things that we are to observe or to practice in the local church. Now, they are the two things, a believer's baptism, a baptism by immersion uh, after the point of salvation, not part of salvation, uh, but after the point of salvation, and the observance of the Lord's Supper. We saw they are not uh, sacraments. They do not give us grace. They're not part of our salvation, uh, but they are rather symbolic in nature. Both of them point to or testify to, or teach of uh, the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they are symbolic in nature. Now, the fifth thing, and we saw this tied together with that, 
that the fifth Baptist distinctive is that Baptists believe in a saved, baptized membership. To belong to each local church, to belong to this local church, you have to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And the way you do that is you say, I'm saved. Uh, you profess that with your mouth. Uh, we're not, we not, we're not going to have some process of evaluation. Uh, there's no checklist that we're going to mark off for you. You profess that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your profession and your baptism. Uh, you are baptized in obedience to Christ, testifying uh, to your profession. And so we believe the church membership is made up of those who have professed faith in Christ and who have been baptized into uh, our membership. And so that's where we are tonight. Uh, those things are, are really uh, pretty important things. If you think about it, uh, they're pretty uh, profound in the practice of our faith. Um, that's going to catch us up to where we are tonight. Uh, tonight we are going to look at, we're going to begin to look at the sixth Baptist distinctive and that is going to concern, or that is going to deal with the two offices of the local church. So tonight we're going to start by the process of looking at the two offices of the local church. As Baptists, we believe there are two, and there are only two offices prescribed to us in the New Testament. Now remember our goal is to exactly follow the New Testament in our life, in our faith, in our practice. We're not going uh, to some board somewhere, to some convention somewhere. There's not a set of people that we have to appease them. Uh, we want to be New Testament followers of Jesus Christ. And so if our goal is to practice what is taught to us in the New Testament, then we go to the New Testament and we find these two offices exist in the local church. Now, these two offices they are the office of pastor, and they are the office of deacon. And so those are the two New Testament offices. These are very important to understand, very important for the membership to understand as we belong to and participate in a New Testament church. And so the two offices of the New Testament church, as we find in Scripture, they are the office of pastor, and they are the office of deacon. Tonight we're going to look at, we're going to begin by looking at uh, the office of deacon. Very important office. We're going to look at it tonight. Next week we're going to look at the office of pastor. And I want to tell you for sure in the day that we're existing in, we need to know uh, who the pastor is, what the pastor does, uh, all of the understanding of that as told to us in Scripture. So be sure to be back for that part next week. So tonight we're going to begin by looking at the office of deacon. Uh, go with me tonight. Baptists believe that all Christians are called and gifted to serve the cause of Christ through the local New Testament church. Now, we need to be sure of that. Uh, sometimes we think, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not the pastor. I'm not a deacon. That's somebody else's business. That's somebody else's responsibility. No, we believe as Christians, those who have been saved, we, each of us, are gifted for service in the local church. You have a gift, if you've trusted Christ, that is to be used in the local church. You've been called to that. You, you've been gifted for that. But, however, some 
are called and gifted uh, to operate in specific functions or offices in the local church. And so you have a place of service. Uh, I, I want to be sure and say this. If you're not serving in your place of service, our church is hindered. And so if you say, well, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what my place of service is. Because of that, uh, either somebody else is having to do it or it's going undone. You are needed. You are necessary in the local church. However, some are called and, or, and gifted to operate in very specific functions in the local church. The office of deacon is one of those functions. The office of deacon is one of those functions. Uh, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, uh, Timothy is serving as the pastor in the church in Ephesus. Uh, he is new to that. He is growing in that role. Uh, and Paul writes to inform him or to instruct him uh, in matters of church order and church operation. So uh, those first and second Timothy, the, the letter to Titus, uh, those are called the pastoral epistles. They are written to a young pastor telling him this is the function of the church. This is uh, the, the means of the function of the New Testament church. And so Paul writes to him, giving him instruction in the operation of the, the local church. Uh, in that, in, in, in 1 Timothy, uh, we find this office of deacon. And there Paul gives us, in God's word, uh, the qualifications of a deacon. So you say, how do we know the church is to have deacons? How do we know that's one of the offices of the local church? It is given to us in God's word. We find it here very specifically in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And so there we find the qualifications of a deacon. I want to say this, and you'll recognize as we move through them, most of these qualifications have to do with their Christian character. And, and so uh, we're going to see some things that are required of them, some things that they are uh, called to do, but most of the qualifications uh, have to deal with their Christian character. Uh, you can go and read that, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, I summarized each of the points, lifting them, starting there, I believe, in the eighth verse, and I'm just going to walk us through uh, the qualifications of a, a New Testament deacon. All right, here's the first one. First one is this. They are to be men of dignity. They are to be men of dignity. The Bible says they are to be dignified. Uh, this means their behavior causes them to be respected. Uh, their conduct uh, shows that they have trusted in Christ, that they're living according to God's word, and the conduct that they practice, not just in the fellowship or the meeting of the church, but as they carry out their lives, uh, reflects this dignity. So they are to be respected, and their conduct reinforces that. Their conduct is what builds that. So they're to be people of dignity. Second thing we see of their qualification is their word is to be trustworthy. Now think about that. We are a people of God's word. We profess God's word. We are saved by embracing God's word. So it just makes sense that his people would be known as people that when they speak something, you could trust it. If I'm going to tell you that there's salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stake everything on that, but in all other matters, I'm deceptive in my speech, 
or fraudulent in my speech, that's going to discredit the message of the gospel. So a deacon, their word is to be trustworthy. If they tell you something, you ought to be able to take it to the bank. Their word is trustworthy. Another requirement, qualification uh, listed there says uh, they must not be addicted to wine. They must not be addicted uh, to alcohol. So uh, this person cannot have an addiction to uh, wine or to alcoholic beverages. Another qualification, they must be fair and just in their business dealings. Uh, they must not be motivated by greed. And so if you're to know them outside of the church, uh, they're not trying to earn an easy dollar. They're not trying to beat somebody out of something. Uh, they, they are actually fair and they're just, and I'll just say they're Christ-like in their personal dealings. They're fair and just, uh, not motivated by greed. Here's another one. Qualification of a deacon, they must know and be growing in the knowledge of God's word. And really that's the impetus for all of this. How do they know what it looks like to be Christ-like? How are they gonna grow in their Christ-likeness? It's because they know the word of God, they're studying the word of God, they're hearing the word of God, and they're growing in that. They are advancing in their knowledge of the word of God. Now on top of that, they practice God's word. And so it's not just they hear a bunch of things, but they know a bunch of information. These are people that live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, that walk according to the word of God in obedience to the word of God. And so a person that's gonna be a deacon, they must know, they must be growing, they must be walking in obedience to the word of God. All right, another qualification. They must have demonstrated those attributes. Now, the Bible actually says, let them be tested. Now, what that means is they're not to be a new convert. Uh, sometimes in, in, in all of the church offices, that of deacon or pastor, notice this, somebody will show up and they'll be excited about church and they'll be excited about God's word and they'll do, they'll do some things and we get excited that they're excited and we say, you know what, they ought to be a deacon. You know, I see it, they ought to be a pastor. Uh, they've been saved 12 months, and man, they're on fire for the Lord. And so, you know what? They ought to be the pastor of the church. Uh, it's the same way here. Uh, they must not be new converts. They must actually be tested. The, the Greek word means weighed out, uh, under pressure, when things are hard, when things are good, over time. And they must have been consistent in their walk with Christ. And so this person is a deacon. Uh, they, they have demonstrated these attributes. Uh, they, they have been tested in these attributes and they're not new converts. All right, another qualification. Uh, the Bible tells us they must be husbands of only one wife. That's actually what it says. Uh, our, our English translation, they must be husbands of only one wife. Uh, now, there is some debate as to what that means. I'll just be honest with you and lay it out. Um, there, there are some folks that hear that. They must be husbands of only one wife, and so they ask the question, can they be unmarried? What about a person who is never married, uh, exhibits all these qualifications, but hey, they're, they're, as an unmarried person, they're not the husband of one wife. Can they be a deacon? What about a widowed person? 
Uh, their, their spouse has passed away. Uh, a, a guy, his wife has passed away. Does he need to resign as a deacon? He's no longer uh, the husband of one wife. What about a divorced person? Can a divorced person serve as a deacon? If they've remarried, well, then it would appear that they've been the husband of, of two wives. Well, there's a lot of talk about that, and churches land in different areas on that interpretation. Uh, in the Greek, here's what it literally says, a man of one woman. And so the qualification of a deacon is a man of one woman. Uh, my, my understanding of that, my belief of that is this, it is not a positional place. Uh, more, it is character-related. And so I believe if, if there's a guy and his wife has passed away, uh, it's not talking about the fact that he needs to go out and find another wife or he's disqualified because he no longer has a wife. I believe it is character-related. I'll just speak it very plainly to you. I believe what it means in the context is this, not an adulterer. That's what it means. A husband of one wife, a one-woman man, most literal translate, translation. So this person is to be committed to the wife that they have. They're not to be an adulterer. Goes on, another qualification is this. Good managers of their children and own households. They are to be good managers. Now that word is, is, is a pretty deep word, a steward of, a leader of their children and their own households. Now what that means is this. Their faith in Christ, uh, their adherence and obedience to the word of God, their belief dictates how they manage their homes, how they lead their homes, and that shows up. And so you know what? They're trying to walk with Christ. They're trying to live in obedience to the word of God, and that impacts how they lead their homes, and that shows up in their homes. Uh, the goal is that they would raise godly, Christ-loving kids. Uh, the goal is that they would lead their spouse uh, to love and to honor and to walk with Christ. Uh, the goal is to have Christ-honoring, Christ-pleasing homes. Now, the opposite of that, uh, the, the, the home of a deacon is not to be worldly. Uh, it's not to be hypocritical. We have one thing at the church and one thing somewhere else. It's not to be chaotic. Um, are their homes going to be perfect? No, it doesn't say that, not at all. But it, it means they're, they're striving in their leadership, in their direction to have Christ-focused home. And so, you know what, if a person is going to come and take a role of leadership in the, the, the gathering of the church, in the assembly of the church, one of the requirements is they're leading in their homes and they're leading in Christ-likeness in their homes. Now, are kids going to mess up? Yes. Are people going to get off track? Yes. But as a general rule, their leadership is to have a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring home. That section, if you read that section, it ends by saying, those who serve well as deacons obtain a high standing. And they bring, here's what they do, validity, confidence, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in, in our words, what that means is this. How they live reflects in a good way, in a positive way, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? It's one thing to say something. It's one thing to profess something. 
but how they live, how they walk, how they raise their kids, how they treat their spouse, how they do business, how they're respected in the culture, all of those things are to be a support of and to reflect positively on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the standards set by God. Now, there's folks that say, well, I like four of those. (laughs) I like two of those. I don't know about that one. We're not getting to pick that. That's the standard that God has set for his blessing in the practice of the New Testament church. Those are God's standards. All right, so then the question is, if those are the standards set by God, told to us in his word, then the question becomes, so what are deacons to do? What does a deacon do? Uh, somebody is a deacon in the local church. What is that person's responsibility? What are they to do in the local church? Well, the, the, the wording actually settles that. Uh, the Greek word for deacon, our English word is deacon, is diakonos. Uh, that word, that Greek word, means this, servant. It most literally means servant. It means waiter. Waiter, a person that comes to the table. Is your glass full? Uh, You need some more stuff here? Is everything going the way you want it to go? A a servant, a waiter, or one who ministers, one who serves. And so understand this. The office of deacon as prescribed in the New Testament, it is a position of service. It is a position of service. A deacon serves the ministry of, of the local church. Now, let me tell you some things that that position does not include. I, I don't know when this happened. Um, I think it took shape in Baptist churches. I think it became a tradition in Baptist churches. Uh, we we kind of like how it was going, and so we, we went with it. But here's the thing. A deacon body does not govern the local church. The deacons are not governors of the church, They're not a board of directors of a local church. Well, I'll just take it to the deacons. They're not a board of directors of the local church. They're not the gatekeepers in the local church. Now, there's many churches that have made the deacon body that, and they've given them that authority, given them that power, but that's not the New Testament model. They're not not a board of governors, a board of directors, or gatekeepers in the church. They are the servants of the church. They serve the local church. With that purpose, they free up the pastor to better, more effectively, more efficiently uphold the ministry of preaching and teaching and prayer. They are serving the church that the pastor is able to be more effective, more efficient, better at the preaching and the teaching and the prayer ministry of the church. There is a sort of an example of that in Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read it to us. We'll look look at it. Uh, In Acts chapter 6, these are the very early days of the church. Uh, Christ has ascended. He's gone to heaven. The church is really just coming out of the gate. The church is forming. Uh, And and, and in the early days of the church, in Acts chapter 6, the church um, is growing, and it is continuing to grow. I read one number that said it could have been as high as 20,000 members, especially at certain times of the year. In Acts chapter 6, the church 
has taken up the cause, and it is biblical, of caring for the widows of the church. There are some here that do not have a husband, and so we're taking care of them. Uh, they had evidently seen the need of daily meals. They're not able to eat uh, secure food without a husband, and so they have taken up the feeding of daily meals for those widows. That one task evidently had taken over uh, the ministry of the church. And, and so every day they get up, and we've got a growing set of widows here, and they need to eat, and somebody has to get the food, and somebody has to cook the food, and somebody has to serve the food, and somebody has to clean up from all that. Somebody has to make sure it's all going smoothly. And this task, this one task, is taking over the focus of the church. It is becoming a burden for the church. And so in Acts chapter 6, there is an example of Christian service, diaconuses. All right, Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, listen to that, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose, that seems to happen in churches, <laughs> on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of disciples, that's the church, and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. We've got a big purpose here. Therefore, brethren, church, Christians, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of word, of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, the church, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They chose them. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Here's what the result of that is. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, even those Jewish priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. Deacons serve the local church. In this specific example, the church is continuing able, able to continue doing what it was supposed to do because this thing was taken care of by these servers, these deacons. All right, deacons serve the local church. Here's the next question. So what does that look like? What does that look like at this church? Somebody else's church, some church in another city. Deacons serve the local church. What does that look like? Here's the answer to that. Each local church, remember, is autonomous. And so each local church decides the roles, the expectations of its deacons. Now, there's no convention, there's no board, there's no group that comes and says, well, you're a deacon now, here's your packet, here are the things that you have to do. Each local church decides where do we need help, what needs to be done in our local church, what would lead to the most efficient ministry of this church. In our local church, in this church, 14 years ago, I've still got the notes somewhere on my desk. 
Uh, we had our first meeting in the, uh, with, with myself as the pastor, and we talked about what is a deacon. Uh, it, the deacon may have been something different, but what is a deacon uh, under my pastorate? Uh, and I said that there are three primary things that I need from the deacons. Uh, there were some other things that deacons do in our church for sure, but these are the things that I would ask help with as the pastor of the church. So here's, here's what I told our deacons. Here's how I can use your help in our church. The first thing is this. Your help is needed in attending our church. And I'm talking about all the meetings, all the activities of the church. If you're going to be a deacon, you need to be here on Sunday morning. You need to be here on Sunday night. You need to be here on Wednesday night. You need to participate on, on Monday nights. Let me explain that to you. Attendance is not all about you. Sometimes, well, on Sunday nights, that's my night to do this. Well, on this night, that's the night we do these things. Attendance in a church is not all about you. Let me tell you why. When you come to the church, there are people that need you to be at the church, in the fellowship of the church. Um, this morning, we had guests that joined our church, that came and visited our church. You know what they need to see? Friendly faces, welcoming faces, familiar faces, faces that can put them on ease. Uh, they, they come in the church, and this whole half is empty, and nobody's over here, and they have to sit by themselves, and they're left to fend for themselves. That is a weird place. Your attendance is important. We're committed to the assembly of the church, the teaching of the word of God. Your attendance helps them feel comfortable, find a place to fit and to serve. So a deacon is to attend all of the activities of the church. Second thing I said they could help with, that we need help with, is to tithe. A deacon at this church should biblically tithe. They should lead the way in the church's tithing. God will bless that. Here's the deal. I do not see what any member of this church gives. I do not see your offering envelopes. I don't know what you give. I don't know what the deacons give. But their expectation is that they will be faithful in their giving to this local church. Here's the third thing that I would ask for help in our deacons, and that is this, to witness, to lead people to Jesus Christ. Um, that is the ministry of this church. That's why we're here until Jesus comes back. That ought to be led by deacons. A deacon, in my opinion, in this church, our need is for them to be in the soul-winning business. Now, does that mean they have to come and, and, and go out on Monday night and be the head honcho in that? No, there's other ways to be a witness, but a deacon should be about the business of seeing the lostness of our world, knowing we have good news in the gospel and leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, there are other ways to serve the church. Those are, I think, the primary three ways. Uh, the ways, the needs change. Uh, they change, they adapt with seasons in the church, uh, with things that are going on in the world and the culture. There are other ways to serve the church. For us, uh, how are deacons selected? All right, so we see the qualifications of a deacon. We see uh, the expectation of service of a deacon how are deacons selected in our church? Again, we're autonomous. Uh, there's other churches with other ways of selecting their deacons. Uh, as a whole, this is the Baptist format, but people could deviate from it. Here's how we do it. They are nominated by the church. So the church 
passes in cards, however they do it, their names are solicited are put in, nominated by the church. At that point, those names are vetted by the pastor and the deacon leadership. After that, it goes to the deacon body as a whole. And so they would say, according to the biblical standard, according to these qualifications, it looks like they meet these. It looks like uh, these things are fulfilled in this person. It goes to the entire deacon body. They, they have the same vetting process. They vote, and then the names are brought to the entire church. And so if you look at, at the example in the Bible, we follow that. They come out of the church. They're given by the church. They're approved by the church. They're presented to the church for a vote. Very simply, uh, the church chooses them. All of that to say this, and here's, here's how I'll wrap it up tonight. All that to say this. There are people who are not the pastor of the church. Uh, they maybe didn't have another title in the church because God didn't call them to be, but he did call them to be deacons. And, and those deacons served and they served and they served. And I, I, I don't want to leave names out, but I could, I could tell you the names of some great faithful deacons who have served and I could give you lists of the things they've done and the things that they've ventured out and how they've served. And most of the time it was unnoticed. Uh, most of the time it was for sure uncelebrated. Nobody had a plaque or a banner every time they did these things. And I'm just going to tell you, sadly, uh, many times that they may have been unappreciated. But I want to say this. By their faithful service to the role they were called to, they have borne a great, eternal, Christ-honoring impact. And I, I like to tell folks, you know what, there's, there's folks that God has given them a, a specific place of service, and their faithfulness to that specific thing is going to bear an eternal consequence. And I believe there's going to be uh, faithful deacons of Calvary Baptist Church that served, and nobody really knew most of the things that they were doing, but there's going to be people in heaven because of their service to the ministry of the local church. Praise the Lord for their faithfulness. All right, we're going to stop there tonight. Next week, we'll pick up on the office of pastor. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dream Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your leadership. We're thankful for your guidance. I pray that in all things that we would be discerning, uh, that we'd be submitting, that we'd be obedient, and I pray we would be a church, a people uh, about your business and existing for your name and for your glory. And I pray that'd be the fruit of these years as that much glory goes to our Savior Jesus. Lord, I come as we close out this Lord's Day. We praise you, we worship you, we exalt you. Uh, we thank you. We, we move into a new week with hope and with expectation. Uh, we ask for opportunities. I pray for families here tonight, uh, for kids, for parents, for grandparents, uh, for homes, for our church body. Um, again, pray that you bless us. Pray that, pray that you enable us, that you multiply our effort, that you're pleased with it. I pray for some that are sick tonight. Uh, help them. I know you are their help. I pray for some that are hurting in this uh, particular season. I pray that you are their peace 
uh, that they look to you and find hope and even joy in these, in these days. We hold them up to you as well. Lord, we thank you for our church. We thank you for your blessing upon our church. We thank you for your headship over our church. We praise you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.